I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. It's strange coming out, like, after two days off, I go home on the weekends, right? I got home Saturday. Uh, Friday, look, everything was pretty normal going home, other than, like, traffic is still minimal, which is, you know, whatever, fine with me. Not much different than spring break or summertime, if you ask me, as far as the amount of cars on the road. But, uh, I go home Friday or Saturday. I get home Saturday morning and I'm working around the yard. I don't not paying attention to news. I'm not paying attention to anything. Um, I have things to do at the house this time of year. And so that's what I'm working on. Not really paying attention to what's going on around me. And I come back out Monday morning, head to Houston pick up a load of beer that has to deliver in Madisonville, Louisiana and uh, turn around and I drive the start driving back driving towards Madisonville which is I don't know seven hours six seven hours so I make the two hours two and a half hours from the Budweiser plant there in Houston to uh the border of Louisiana and what do you know they have completely shut down a rest area and have cops stationed there they're funneling all personal vehicles into the uh, rest area and using the rest area as a checkpoint allowing all 18 wheelers to bypass the uh the checkpoint which is very similar to what I heard they were doing in uh, Florida I'd read a story it was the last week or the week before last I don't know these weeks seem so long what they're doing is they're opening up the way stations as medical checkpoints for personal vehicles and they're allowing all 18-wheeler traffic to bypass all truck traffic bypass and uh, they're instituting these things at a really fast rate it, it's it's really strange to see things normal for the most part one day and then two days later or a day later, you have these checkpoints. Now, I didn't, there there were no military or National Guard vehicles there. It was all state troopers. Um, what I could make out, they were all wearing some sort of masks and had on gloves. So at least they're being, I guess, safe. I don't know. I don't know how safe you can expect the police to be. Um, I suspect that they're still asking for quarantine addresses for people entering Louisiana, I mean, entering Texas from Louisiana, which is what they were talking about doing 
last week and the week before. But they had, uh, last week, there were lots of cops at the border, but they weren't setting up checkpoints. They were randomly pulling over people that had Louisiana license plates and, uh, you know, harassing them and asking them, I guess, where they were going and if they had a place to quarantine. And if not, I guess they were turning them around. But it's really strange to be, you know, in the state of Louisiana and to see Texas state troopers. It's, um, it's, it, it looks more like a DUI checkpoint than what you had, um, after the last flooding down here where they had the interstate shut down and they had a police officer stationed blocking the road in order to allow uh, appropriate vehicles to enter different areas, um, which they were obviously with the flooding, the roads were covered with water. So they were, they were trying to make sure that people weren't, you know, driving into an area where they couldn't get to, um, or something like that. So they had many of the roads shut down. There was roads covered with water and they were, you know, had us detouring in different ways, uh, different directions. So in order to get, like for me, I was trying to get home and I had to cross uh, into Texas using a back road. And uh, they had a police officer there that, you know, was checking. He's like, where are you going? I told him where I was going. And he was like, okay, um, what you're going to have to do. And he gave me directions. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, thanks. And I went on about my business. This is a, this is a lot different than that. This is, <laughs> you're talking, I counted at least 15, you know, state trooper vehicles in the rest area parking lot. They had cameras set up, um, those towers that, that have cameras to monitor. You know, they, you'll see them a lot on construction sites and things like that, uh, monitoring the rest area. And so it's a, it's a lot different than, than just uh, what you would see in a position where they're trying to keep somebody out of a hazardous area. Um, it's, it's, it strikes me as odd that all the people that were just so against Trump enforcing border controls um, at the Mexican border were uh, are now begging for border controls in between states. Um, but it also shows you that if there was actually something like if it was if if the Mexican border were actually a serious problem and a serious threat, that they would have absolutely zero issue closing down all the uh, all the entryways in such a way that people wouldn't be able to enter if they so wanted to, if they so chose to. And so it just makes me think that, yeah, as much as the rhetoric was that illegals crossing the border are carrying all kinds of diseases and they're, they're a huge threat to the American way of life, it's, they're, it's just 
to me, it's just proof positive that there's absolutely zero threat, that everybody knew there was no threat. They were not going to take any kind of actions to even constitute that or at least insinuate that there was any threat whatsoever uh, coming across the Mexican border. And uh, they truly believe that this virus is a threat that they have not seen or they're just taking advantage of a crisis. I mean, you can you can look at it either way. Um, but yeah, it, it really makes me believe that there was no way for them to truly sell or act as if illegal immigrants coming across the border were, was an actual threat and that there was an actual danger to these uh, families coming across the border. Anyway, um, I got some uh, questions from a listener and I wanted to address them. I don't really, I, I've been so busy. I, I did not record an episode with a guest as y'all hear. So I just kind of wanted to address these questions. And, um, though the questions were kind of specific, I'm going to, um, I'm going to generalize the questions uh, a little bit because there's so much going on that these questions actually cover more than than just um, the specificity in which they were asked. So the first question is, it's actually question 1, 1A, 1B is the way I would look at it, but but the the way that it was written, it's it's just asking like what what does the federal government have to gain by blocking these um, private organizations from assisting in the development of of testing or or fighting the spread of the virus or opening up different uh, medical facilities and I would you the question is asked from um, kind of an innocent point of view um, which a lot of people have and and how people view the federal government and what their role is and it the the question almost, insinuates and implies that the federal government has some duty to protect the American people and to to do what is in the best interest of the American people and I would just suggest that looking at it in that 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 aspect is completely missing the role of, of what the federal government is. Um, the federal government is an institution built on conquest and domination. It is not an institution built on compassion and, and protecting its citizens. 
its role is not to protect you. It is not to keep you safe. Its role is to consolidate as much power as possible and to create social cohesion in the direction of its own benefit. And so what the federal government, while the reason that the CDC and the FDA uh, refuse tests, the reason why Team Rubicon is is having issues, you know, working with states and and working with the sick is because they the the concern of the government of these bureaucracies is not to get people well. That is not their first priority. Their first priority is to maintain their monopoly and their control. Okay? And so, even though it was from day one, we could see that there was a test that was developed in Berlin by a private company in Berlin that was being distributed around the world, that was being used by governments around the world, the FDA refused to allow that test to be used in the United States. And this is how the FDA and the CDC always operate. Anytime there's a new illness or, or new testing or some, some uh, evolution of a previously known virus and it mutates and becomes more aggressive or shows different signs or something like that. The FDA gives first priority to the CDC to develop its tests and to test how to treat the virus. And so it keeps everything centralized and doesn't allow for other organizations to begin utilizing possibly better tests. It, it'll, it gives the CDC first priority. The CDC has the first you know, option to, to get these tests. And that's the way it's set up. And they, what they've done is they've regulated every other company out of business, not out of business, but out of this particular market, a new market in order to monopolize the the market on this particular test or or cure or vaccine or whatever so it took about a month for the CDC to admit that the test that they had developed was faulty and so this test was getting a lot of false negatives. It was also getting false positives. And it's because of the way that the test was set up, there was a, there's a, a protein within this virus that the test was having a lot of trouble identifying um, within people. And it would come back inconclusive. So they were... They were either giving people a false negative or they were giving these people a false positive. And come to find out that the test was 
was faulty if the atmosphere of the clinic or the laboratory running the test wasn't the exact same as the atmosphere that the CDC had conducted the test in in their testing facilities. So though there were, I think it was the, it was the disease, the infectious disease uh, section of the University of Nebraska was actually the ones who determined that, oh, well, if we can get the atmosphere within the laboratory identical to the laboratory of the CDC, the test works perfectly fine. But if the humidity was off or the temperature was off or whatever, then it it was causing problems with the tests. And I mean, I that's about as much as I know about why that test was, was not working. Uh, there was something it's beyond my pay grade to understand any much more than that, but that's what they had found out that this test was just registering faulty. And um, one of the proteins of the virus was not, was not reading properly if the atmosphere was just slightly off. So that's why the CDC test Well, so it was at that point that the FDA, when the CDC finally came out and admitted this and said they were having to develop a new test and to um, do some work on the current testing that was faulty, that the FDA stepped in and finally said, okay, we're going to, um, we're going to go ahead and allow other tests to be used that have been developed in the uh, during this process. And that's where the Roche test came from. And there were a couple others. And they actually uh, allowed, I think they're allowing, like I think it's two, two other companies to produce tests as well as the CDC. So it's the reason that you're not seeing more innovation from the private sector is because of the government blocking the private sector from actually cooperating and actually getting involved. Um, the, the, the government is, their bureaucracies are trying to maintain their order of things and that their monopoly, their control over these markets And they have to, in order to do that, they have to make you believe that they are the most capable and that anybody else coming into the market, whether it be TIB or, or Roche or any of these other companies, are not as capable as the CDC is. Okay, and so you get the same thing when you look at organizations like Team Rubicon and things like that. They are, though the the FDA is lifting some of the regulations, and Team Rubicon is actually doing some work, especially in the California area. 
they are regulated out of operating in certain certain areas and in certain ways and in certain places. And this is specifically to make you believe that the conquest of the federal government over these bureaucratic institutions is the same as competence on their part. That they have to control these things because no one else is competent enough to do it. And so the question then goes on, given that they are blocking all of these private organizations from truly working in a, in a market and, and creating solutions as the market would naturally create solutions through need and spontaneity. Like you see Dyson, you know, within with they had developed a brand new ventilator within 10 days. I think, you know, and this was before Trump even came out and said that he was going to have Chevy make a, you know, V8 ventilator or whatever the hell they're doing. Um, and that still hasn't been developed. And I think Dyson is already filling orders in, um, in, in the UK. You know, I think they were some, I, I read somewhere they were going to send 15,000 ventilators to the UK. So the, the private corporations or the private companies that stand outside of the government and aren't, you know, cartelized with the government um, seem to be able to operate. And the reason they are able to operate is because they are not restricted by all the red tape. They're able to do the research and make the adjustments on the fly without having to go through 17 days of regulation before they're able to actually make a decision or waiting on regulations to be lifted or moved out of the way so that they can actually innovate. They are just strictly moving forward with the innovation process, not concerned with, you know, all the regulation and red tape that prevents them from innovating or moving forward in a, in a particular way. But so the question goes on to ask, what is, what is the end goal here? Like, where are we going? Are we looking at a possible dictatorship? And no, I, I don't think so. I think all what you're going to see is what you see with, with every other, you know, quote unquote crisis that comes through the United States, whether it be 9-11 or, you know, whatever. And uh, this is what, what we refer to as, you know, I think it was Robert Higgs that referred to it as the ratchet effect. And so basically what that means is they're going to ratchet up their authority and their powers. So they're going to tighten that bolt. You know, they're going to ratchet it up. And then when they go to 
when the crisis is over, they'll back off some. But what they will never do is back off to the extent that they had backed off before. It's going to be like the, like the Patriot Act, where you're going to have to keep some of these in place to keep you safe. We're going to have to spy on you to keep you safe. We're going to have to continue to monitor your cell phone activity, where you're moving, how you're, who you're interacting with, how you're interacting with people in order to keep you safe, in order to know that are you being exposed to any, any infectious disease that you, that you may be unaware of, you know? the invisible enemy that we are now going to have to fight for the rest of our lives, like terrorism, something we'll never be able to defeat. It's always going to be there. And so that's what you're going to see. You're going to see um, a grab for more authority. And if you look at the temperature of the country, the vast majority of the population is going to happily give that authority up. They're going to happily let their liberties go in order to feel safer. And no amount of quoting Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Paine or any founding father is going to ever matter to most of these people. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you describe the false sense of security that the, they feel at the expense of their liberties. That the less freedom they have, the more... It's almost like a... It's almost like a, a comfort blanket or uh, what was that? What was that thing? Oh, a thunder blanket. That's what it was called. Where we have a, our dog Slayer. He's uh, terrified of thunder. And uh, we have a gun range a couple of properties over. And every time they shoot, he's, he's freaking out. And if you take a blanket and you wrap it really tight around him and you tie it. And he walks around looking like Superman with this or or Julius Caesar with this damn toga wrapped around him but he keeps him calm and that's what the American people are looking for they're looking for this thunder blanket this this maternal entity that is the federal government to come in like a caring mother nursing a sick child and 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 coddling that child and holding that child close to her bosom and rocking that child to sleep. And that's how the federal government would like you to look at them. But they're more like an abusive father. Getting drunk nightly and swinging a belt at you ever so wildly. You know, knocking you down a few times, kicking you while you're on the ground. That's more how they operate. They, they give you the rhetoric of the mother, but their actions are those of the unwieldy, alcoholic, abusive father. 
And so I wouldn't expect dictatorship, so to speak. Um, I would I would wouldn't expect the powers of the executive to be reined in any. And, you know, a lot of times, especially in a crisis situation, you have a de facto dictator because Congress just rubber stamps anything that the executive wants to do at this particular point in time. And it doesn't matter whether it's an actual dictator or just a de facto dictator. The results are the same. You're still looking at less liberty for you, more power for them. Um, with it, with the economic crisis going on at the same time, uh, it completely expect the dollar to eventually weaken. Um, at the moment, lots of countries are trying to hold the dollar, so that's creating this artificial strength and uh, dominion, even with the printing, the constant printing of uh, Federal Reserve notes. It's, um, it's holding some of its strength, but I wouldn't expect that to last. Eventually, things are going to calm back down. Countries are going to go back to operating the way that countries operate. Um, the United States is going to continue to put sanctions on countries that are being totally decimated by this virus and by other things. And they're going to continue to stop medicines going into Iran and things of that nature and uh, continue to move as the world empire in an attempt to create hegemony in the world. And, you know, but at home, I don't, I don't know if everything, if anything will ever be the same again. Um, I'm pretty certain it won't be exactly the same, but I can't identify right now where you're going to see the changes, the permanent changes. It's, it's hard to identify that. It's hard to, it's hard to determine what they're going to do. Nobody could have seen them giving themselves a $25 million, you know, budget to give themselves raises because of this crisis. Like that was, that was the last thing on my mind. You know, I didn't see them giving money to NPR, PBS and the Kennedy center, you know? So I knew they would give money to the banks. Like that was a given, you know, but, but you know, the, the audacity to just give themselves a pay raise at this point in time <coughs> was, uh, <coughs> A little shocking to me, which I guess I shouldn't be shocked by anything these people do. They're a bunch of psychopaths, a bunch of sociopaths. They're only interested in their own power. And uh, as much as they'd like you to believe that they have your health and the health of American citizens at heart, the only thing they care about is that there are enough of you, enough of us left to host the parasites as long as there are enough of us left to pay the taxes to to form a host for them to feed off of they don't care about the rest of us there are plenty of us that are expendable
And as much as they'd like to have you think that they care, what they care about is utter control and power. And to maintain that monopoly and to maintain the illusion of competence in the face of conquest. So that's kind of my thought on those questions. I hope it at least clears up what the way I look at these things and which I don't not certain there was much mystery there, but yeah, um, I would imagine that most people are going to start once this ends, however long it's going to last, most people will probably entertain some normalcy once again, and their life will get back to some semblance of normalcy. And, uh, I imagine the shockwaves of this and the what everybody likes to refer to as PTSD, which if that's what you want to call it, of this situation and the paranoia following this situation, I I imagine that will linger for a while. But um there will be at least some sense of normalcy. And no matter how the government is operating, they are going to do everything they can and to throw up every illusion that they can possibly conjure to make it look like it is the exact same government that it was before all of this. And it will be the Glenn Greenwalds and... Julian Assange's and Edward Snowden's coming out in the next couple of years that are going to be exposing the uh, the type of monstrosity that they are actually creating behind the scenes um, while this while the American people are uh, so terrified they are willing to have the government do whatever the government wants or says that it needs to do in the face of this. Um, It's going to be really interesting how we're going to explain to, you know, the next generation that they're only allowed to leave the house for five hours a day for their entire lives. Um, to keep them safe from a coronavirus and that it's really not not meant to make them feel like prisoners or whatever the whatever the fuck these people do and whatever kind of crazy laws they pass that have nothing to do with fighting a virus I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be more laws coming down that suggest that the um the unlimited detention of American citizens or the assassination of American citizens uh, may be a public health benefit and, you know, they'll be start exterminating people like me 
that don't don't like all the bullshit that they're doing. So I don't know, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I would imagine that a lot of most people are going to feel within a neck within a year, everybody's going to kind of feel like things are back to normal, and uh, it's going to take some digging for people like me to try to figure out exactly what these fuckers have been doing behind the scenes. But, you know, I guess that's why I'm here. So (laughs) anyway, I hope that was at least somewhat informative and entertaining. I'm Tommy Salmons. Late.